I'm going to toil in my spirit while I'm teaching this. But it's not in relation to anything I'm teaching. So if I stop halfway through, we'll just go on to something else. (laughs) This is the third lesson in our uh, study. And three weeks ago, Brother... Terry Broadstreet presented a pragmatic view of financial health and and um, financial discovery. Last week, Brother McLeod also spoke, but in his exhortation, it was constraint and control. Now, both of those things are critical, and they are rare in in the society in which we live and in fact in many homes to make a budget um, and then to have constraint is almost a, another language for people. Almost everyone makes an excuse or a provision for themselves about what they like to spend. You've heard it for about four decades on commercials from the largest food chain in the world, you deserve a break today. Um, And that has been ingrained in the American society. Now, I want to offer you some sad news about one of my favorite all-time Christmas movies, which is actually based in socialism. (laughs) Yuck, it's a wonderful life. Believe it or not, everyone doesn't deserve their own house. Did I ruin the movie for you? I really like it. I love that old Christmas movie, and it's got so many good things. I love George Bailey, and of course, you know, we want to lasso the moon. But the idea that Everyone deserves everything is not true. In fact, the idea that you would deserve healthy life, prosperity, riches, or comfort is not actually in the scripture. Um, and we even have a, have a statement that we made that people deserve respect. Well, I do think that that's true, but we cannot demand that of people. So the idea of deserving is very foreign and would be very foreign to the apostles and the prophets who gave their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. Some of them died, was hanged, beheaded, stoned, boiled in oil, sent into prison, uh, cast into cisterns, and the grotesqueness of life right after they got done preaching the gospel. That is not the American way. We're not truly familiar with persecution. We don't know what that really is. But when we start to look around the world, there is persecution around the world just for speaking the name of Jesus. If someone calls you a bad name or your family member tries to thwart your walk with God or say something ugly or adverse because you attend the church, that might be an affront to your spirit, but it's not persecution. I don't want to scare anyone here, and I don't want to be a prognosticator of anything that could or could not happen. But it could very well be that in our lifetime, we will begin to see persecution. That's it's approaching us. Now, I don't want to veer off that path. I just want you to know that the, the concept of deserve is a foreign concept to the people who first follow Jesus Christ. He said to them, I'm sending you forth as 
sheep among among wolves. How about that? Sheep among wolves. Listen, I'm sending you out. They're probably going to devour you. That's what wolves do. But he, 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 he still sent them. <laughs> and if you read the early church and what happened in 70 AD, uh, you'll find that Jerusalem imploded. Who received my email uh, that I sent to the whole church? Did anyone receive an email from me? Okay, four people. Who has an email? Who checks your email? I think I sent well, it should be, go home and check. I sent an email to the whole church. Well, I sent it to the office and they emailed it. So read that a little bit. We're at a crossroads. Who knows we're at a crossroads? Amen. You may not know it, but just trust, trust me now. So in the economy of God, I want to say, Lord, I don't deserve the blessing. If I do have the blessing, I will make sure I manage that maintain it, and deal with it appropriately. Whatever the blessing is, material blessing, um, monetary blessing, I will make sure that I deal with that appropriately. In God's economy, we find that little is much, that less is more, that first is last and last is first. He gives grace to the humble. He provides the means from unknown sources, bread and meat was brought to the prophet from a raven. The responsibility God places on his people comes with both a promise and a curse. There is no middle ground. There's no gray area. And in his economy, there are specific laws, decrees. And uh, there is a consistency in that law, just greater than the law of nature or science. For instance... Whatever you plant, you will reap. It doesn't matter what you feel or your intention. Whatever you plant, you'll reap. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. This is a constant law. The fruit always follows the seed. It's in the Bible. It will never, ever go away. So I'm at the top of your handout with the scripture. Jesus said this. It's in red letters in your Bible if you're looking at it. Jesus said, give It's not a suggestion. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. I'm just going to walk through this with you. I'll try not to pause too much. I want you to, however, consider the command of Luke chapter 6. Give, which is... To release a closed fist can neither give or receive. Release. Number two, it shall be returned. So when you give, the promise here is a return. But the, but the return is not minimal. There is an abundance that will follow. So what follows is important. Now I want you to know that not every return is the same in kind. I gave money and it didn't come back. But it could be other things. So don't think that if you're giving that you're going to get the same in kind return. But these are the words of Jesus Christ. These are not my words. I didn't write them. I didn't speak them. But we read them. We believe them. That every word of God is pure. It's true. It's founded. It's right. It's just. It's holy. It's without rebuke or rebuttal. All the great mountains of the world can crumble in dust and drift into the sea, but his word will endure forever. Give, it shall be given to you, returned to you. Something will follow you in abundance. And not just that, but these This scripture does not indicate some spiritual gift. Because Jesus said, shall men, people, will give to you. People, men, others, 
will give to you. That's the scripture. The final uh, uh, act, uh, assessment of that verse, which would be uh, Luke 6.38b, if we were going to dissect it, is that what you give shall be returned, or the gift is the same as the reward. So your gift is, a, is the same as your reward. It's not me. Now, I, 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 I'm looking at my notes here, and I just want to make a, a, not a disclaimer, but a, but a, and not a qualification, but I want to make a, a particular statement about this. The totality of this fellowship is not about money. It's not about giving. It's not about this lesson. If, if this is your first time here, or if this is your first time tuning in to this, to this uh, website, I almost said channel. Are we on, are we on a channel? I don't know. Uh, this is not what we're all about. However, this is part of what we're about. And the scripture will declare it so. Just as uh, the Sabbath was kept by the Jews, um, the Sabbath kept them. So not only did they keep it, but it kept them. Not only does financial uh, constraints keep us, or we keep it, but it also keeps us. Now consider the economy of the gift and the reward. And in Matthew, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain, obtain mercy. Now, I'm just showing you the, the circular uh, motion of what you would do. Love begets love. Kindness begets kindness. Kind words do the same. Ugliness usually invokes the same. Uh, hate usually invokes the same of its own kind. Whatever you would say or do, it comes back to you in a return motion. This is a, this is a principle of life. It, it is a principle of all life. Now, you might say, well, pastor, I did good and, and, and I was treated poorly. Okay, well, what are you going to do? If you do right and you get the wrong result, keep doing right. So I cannot always manage... Or change the response of the person I'm talking to. But I can manage my response. I can ask for forgiveness. And I have. In fact, I remember not too long ago calling someone and asking for forgiveness. I was not received. But once I hung up the phone, guess what? I was free. You may not be received, but you can be free. Now, they have to deal with the matter, not me. Now, I still remember it because my brain still functions half the time. And the half the time that it is, does function is not, it's not right. But that was a, it is functioning. I'm sorry, that was a small joke. It's lost his mind. You don't have to laugh, but I just want you But I will say that the idea here is that this is a reciprocal motion. It, it, this is happening over and over and over again. And this, isn't, this didn't happen today. It's forever. What you plant, what you give, does return to you. Now you can change your harvest. But you start tonight planting the right seed. You still may have to deal with some of the things you did yesterday. But you start tonight plant the right seed. Don't throw your hands up and say, well, I'm just, I'm a hopeless cause. Well, no, that's the enemy talking to you because you can be a new creature, but you do have to plant the right seed. The faithfulness of the return or the reward will never be challenged because Jesus spoke of it and it will never fail. Now, the principle of scripture, it is without respect to the person. So it doesn't matter who follows the scripture, the Bible will always be true. This means, watch, this means that when, when even an unbeliever employs the principle of the scripture of tithes and offerings, of giving, and become obedient to the word, even if they are not faithful 
to God, but they employ the scripture principles. The Lord is faithful to his word. I, I don't submit this to you. I don't think you should stay home from church. I certainly don't think you should leave the house of God. You should have worship. You should have the altar. You need to be in this room, if, if at all possible. But there are people who got discouraged, was something happened, they, they, they sinned, they were offended, whatever. And to their former churches, they still sin in, a, in, a, in an offering and a tithe. And they're blessed. Why is that? Because the principle of the word still holds true. Even when I'm not doing right. Now I'm just going to submit something to you. And it's going to be a little bit of a, uh, of a shock to some of you. But maybe not everybody. Some folks give according to the personality that presents or has the presentation of the need. Some people give according to the emotion or to the plea of the person with the microphone. I don't give, I've had to tell ministers this, I don't support leadership based upon their personality. I support them based upon their position and the cause and the kingdom. So, so it doesn't matter who is presenting the need. I'm going to ask God because I'm faithful to the word of the Lord. I want to be faithful to the word of the Lord. But there are some who say, well, I'm not given because I don't like that person. I don't like that. Or I'm not giving because I don't like how that was spent. That means you're not a giver, you are a purchaser. And there's a difference between a purchaser and a giver. The giver releases, the purchaser wants something in return. Yes. Well, I thought... That if I gave my tithe, that these walls would be a, a better bluish color. I don't like this color. Why? Well, I don't know why. I wanted them blue too. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't care. So, just so you know, these are principles that will last the rest of your life. It doesn't matter where you are. This is the principle of the Lord. Let me just give you a couple of views of of this tithes, offering, sacrifice, giving. The first view is that of, uh, of the, it, 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 it began in the Old Testament, but this will help us with it. It's the, it entails law. It could be the law of the Lord, or the law of God. And we find that in Exodus. Of course, it, it was beyond that. It was before that. But we find that in a very clear description. The first of the first fruits of, thy, of the land. Bring into the house of the Lord your God. So the house is also called the storehouse. Later it would be called the temple. Uh, in that day it would have been called the tabernacle of Moses. So storehouse, tabernacle, temple. Uh, today we would call it the church or the storehouse. Where you're fed spiritually. Where you hear the word. The second view is that of honor. Everyone say honor. Honor the Lord with thy substance. God sees giving as a measure of honor with thy first fruits of all thine increases. Now, what that verse is describing is not after Uncle Sam takes out what he wants. And what he wants is an ins he has an insatiable appetite, he is never satisfied. So you don't measure what you give to God after you get done paying your bills, your electric bill, your, 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 your utility bill, your fuel bill, your, your taxes. What is your increase? That is your increase, and that indicated a gross amount. The third view is that by heart, which I love this. I just entered, I just, I didn't put the whole chapter in here. Everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting for all its service and the sacred garments. It's a beautiful thing. The, I, I didn't put the scripture down, but you can put in your, in your margin there. Um, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. There is a heart factor in this. So I'm not telling you that, that we should not present an emotional appeal or exciting moment 
about what we're doing and what we're giving to. But even with that, I just want you to know, many of the screens, the, the clapping, the joy, we have, we have done wonderful things here. We have shot off confetti cannons and danced and shouted and did all kinds of crazy stuff. And I ripped up this platform and we did all kinds. It's wonderful. Let it be. There is a heart factor involved in giving. It's emotional heart factor because you have to have the willing heart to give. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Not, you still give even if it's begrudging because it's obedience. But there is something about giving to the Lord. We don't do it here. I, I, we could, I, maybe you want to on Sunday. But, but I've been in many places, even recently, when whoever was taking the offering said it's time to give and everyone started to clap. A couple people whistled. Amen. We didn't do any of that. So maybe Sunday, bring a kazoo. The command, the promise, the curse of tithes and offerings. This, this is really not, uh, this is really not um, something that we can negotiate with. Let me just give you a very small brief overview. From the beginning of time, God instituted a blood sacrifice. The blood sacrifice happened in the garden. Until the time that Adam and Eve ate of a fruit that they were not allowed to eat of, there was no death. The lion and the lamb laid down together. There was no antagonist. To the best of our understanding and knowledge, there was no carnivores. They were herbivores. They ate plants. The animals didn't eat each other. There was no bloodshed. The best of our knowledge. We're not specific on that, but but we, we think that's probably right. When you get to heaven, ask God. If you have an argument with me after church, I don't really care. I'm just telling you that to the best of our knowledge, there's a school of thought that they were all plant-eating animals. I don't know how it is, but just ride that train with me. But when they sinned, they made clothes out of, out of some kind of leaf. But God was not pleased with their attire. So he killed the first animals and made clothes out of the skin of the animals so that the blood of the animals was spilled by God to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. They had sinned. Their eyes are open. They said, we're hiding because we're naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? Because the enlightenment of the conscience happened. A conscience began. Heretofore, there was no need for a conscience because they were right and pure before the Lord. Um, But the conscience awoke, and so God slaughtered the animals, and the blood of those animals was the price to cover their sin. From that moment, all the way to the cross of Calvary, the whole Bible is a long trail of blood. Every, Every instance, even after the garden, there was some command, which we're not familiar with because it's not written, that even God had instituted a blood sacrifice. Cain's offering was not acceptable to God, but Abel's offering was. There, there was some communication, we, we do this by deductive reasoning, that God wanted a blood sacrifice and not a sacrifice of grain. Of grain. And so Cain could have traded with his brother to, to buy a lamb or to get a lamb, but he did not. He did his own way because he thought, I can do whatever I want to do and God will just accept it. And God did not accept him. In fact, God spoke to Cain and said, sin is crouching at your door. You can overcome it, but it's there. It's waiting for you. Because he decided, I'll give whatever I want. And God said, oh no, you're not going to. And so the blood trail went all the way through, all the way through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Blood was found. They sacrificed animals to God. And then all the way through, even to the point when it got to Moses. And incredibly enough, Moses did not go to say, Pharaoh, let all the people go. That's not what he said at first. He said, we just want to take a three-day journey to get out of here so we can make a sacrifice. Read in your Bible. Uh, I want to preach now. But Pharaoh knew 
that three days he would lose control. It only took three days for ownership to transfer. And he would not allow three days. After three days of journeying away, whoever owned it first lost ownership and there's a new owner. That's why I think Jesus Christ was in the grave for three days and when he got up there was an ownership transfer. He didn't just pay for your sins, but when he got up, he said, I'm transferring the debt and the ownership away from here. Amen. <laughs> I'm going to stop there because I got a bunch more three days for you. Mm -hmm. That long trail of blood, and they instituted it through all the kings. David, Saul, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, everybody knew all the prophets, all the judges, all the people, even all the way through Hezekiah and down through the line. They all sacrificed animals until finally at the very end of the Old Testament, they were bringing lambs that were diseased and blind, withered, crippled, had the mange, the worst of their field because they were going through the function, but they were not obeying the intent of the Most High God. And now... I read to you a very convicting word. It's terrible. It's horrible for the modern day church. Because the Gallup poll says that the average Christian in churches, members, give 1.7% of their income to their church. That's the average giver in all the churches. Uh-oh. And God asked, are you going to rob me? This is on your page. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, what? Where do we rob you? And God's reply, you stole tithes and offerings. Now, this is where I want you to know. No one pays tithes and no one pays offerings. That word pay got in our vernacular years ago. So I want to apologize for every time I said it, but it's not my fault. My dad told me that. <laughs> Someone else told him. And we're going to say that. We're, we're, we're going to slip up. But, but really, it's not pain. You, you pay Duke Energy. You pay Centerpoint Energy. You, 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 you pay your, your mortgage. But you don't pay tithes. You return them. When you return your tithing and your offering, what you're doing is you're acknowledging that all of it came from God. You're returning. Hear me, young people. If you would like to be Blessed in your life, when you make $100, you give your first fruit to God. For the rest of your life, give your first fruit to God. This will, this will last all, all of your life. It's beautiful. And so because God said, you robbed me, then he said, you're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. And now he gives a command. This is without negotiation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that, ye, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, there should not be room enough to receive it. It's amazing. Three verses that will change your entire life. Yes, you need to have a budget, and yes, you need to have constraint. You cannot just keep pushing the Amazon button. It's convenient. Your credit card's logged in there. You love to have a package at your front door. But sometimes it's nice to have constraint. I don't know where I read it, but it was over $20 billion are going to be, was spent yesterday on Valentine's Day. I want to tell you, the flowers are already fading. Amen. Well, okay. Sorry, I'm a downer, aren't I? I'm a downer. I've already poor mouth. It's a wonderful life. And Valentine's Day. Now, some folks will say, well, that's just Old Testament stuff. No, it's not. That was following through all of the New Testament also. In fact, Jesus will rebuke the Pharisees. Watch. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. How would you like to have him as a preacher? I'm just going to say this. Most of us would not be able to take Paul as a pastor. And for sure, we wouldn't be able to stand if Jesus was leading the church. Oh, my. I'm about to jump on that too. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for this is what you're doing. You pay tithe of mint, anise, cumin. These are spices. You're, you're, all, you're making sure 
but you have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, faith. These ought ye to have done. You should be paying your tithes, giving your tithes. I'm sorry. See, I just did that again. You should be giving your tithing. You should be, you should be making sure, but you don't leave the other undone. You don't leave the other undone. So tithing was in both, uh, both testaments, and it was instituted by God. Tithes and offerings. Look at this next scripture. I titled it, The Master Called Money. Because God did not compare, Jesus did not compare God and the devil. Those weren't the two masters that rule the earth. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he explained it. You cannot serve both God and money, or God and mammon. Can't. He didn't say you can't serve God and the devil, because God doesn't have an equal. There's no, hot has an equal with cold. Uh, light, light has the opposite uh, of, of dark, a day, night, but um, but God has no equal because he is the creator. But there is another creation that man made, and that's money, mammon. So I would say to you that there is a, there is a mastery that you've got to master, and that the mastery is serving money. You don't have to be wealthy to be greedy. You don't have to be money to be money hungry. You don't have to be rich to desire more. Thus, the question was asked to the mega billionaire, how much money do you want? And his answer was, one more dollar. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a stewardship found in this. This is your next verse in 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that the man be found faithful. This is in everything, of course. You should be a steward of your time, of your, of your words, of your emotions, of your finances. We're about to embark on March the 12th on a, on a sacrificial offering and a 12-month commitment for the sake of our sanctuary. But we've changed the order over the years. So instead of making a commitment of something that might come in the future... Uh, we, we're presenting as a church, as we did last year, this our, we're almost done with our first year. It's amazing that everyone in the church would return a tithe and an offering. And so I'll describe what a tithe is according to the scripture. A tithe is 10% of your gross. It's 10% of your gross. It's the first fruit of material and monetary gain. The first fruit. I even like to do it this way. Before I pay any bill, the first fruit is my tithe and my offering. Now, I don't know where I learned that. I'm sure it was my, par- where my parents taught me that. But my first fruit is my tithe and my offering. I can remember um, way back in the olden days when I sold music CDs, traveled, and people would give money, actual cash, currency, and that envelope of money. That when we we got home, I'd I'd take the money and I'd count it and just immediately put 10% and 5% over to the side and didn't even think about it. That's not, that's not even, doesn't even belong to me. And of course, the Lord helped me because I learned that wonderful uh, secret. And finally, tithing is a command from God. Now, I'm, I'm, I want you to go back and look at that Ma- Malachi chapter 3. I want you to look at that. It's right there on the top of your, pa- the bottom of your page. It's just right, uh, right there in the first page. What is that Malachi 3? It's a command of God. It's non-negotiable. It's very difficult for us to ask God for something and still rob God. He knows. I don't always know. But he knows. And you can't confess your way out of your obligation. Let me do that again. You cannot confess your way. And remove yourself from the obligation. Pastor, I've had some hard times. I'll get back on track. 
you can say that to me, but I am not the judge and jury, nor did I write the scripture. So there's no negotiation between us. This is just horizontal. This is you and God, and you have an obligation to God. It doesn't matter how you feel. And I would say in our generation, there's, this is really not just one age bracket, but it's all the age brackets. But people have no, no problem buying a $9 uh, drink at, at a coffee shop. $9. No, no problem. No problem. No problem. And, 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 and I, don't, I don't know how this is going today, but many people use media and, and they'll, 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 they'll go to different places and, and, and they'll enjoy a night of something. And they have no problem spending 30 or $40. But when it comes to, to giving, there, there is a constraint. And, and, you know, squeezing out the dollar bill, putting in the offering. Whew. You've done so well. But when it comes to when it comes to the movie theater, AMC, there's no problem, $18 or $20 for a Coke. I'm just, I'm, I'm speaking to you, and I'm, I'm telling you how this is going, because we don't, Netflix and, and Hulu and, and, and Roku and, and all of the programs and the platforms, all of that costs money, and, and I, I heard four commercials on the radio today, four, where they're asking for you to donate $11, $19. There was another dollar amount. What's, what's $11? What 19 And this what happens, and now it's consuming all of your finances. And then when you get to the house of God, you say, well, I just can't. You should remove all of that before you do anything. You take out your tithing and your offering. And then see if you can afford $9 coffee. And, and, and what I hear sometimes is, well, I, don't, I know the kids are raising money. I don't know how they're going to do it. Well, they can do it because I know that they come into money. I don't know how they come into money, but they do. So offerings are similar, commonly based on percentage of gain offering. Now, the old church, the, the, the senior pastors, which is two generations removed from me, believed that tithing and offerings were the same. Both were 10%. Old Brother Mitchell taught his church in Columbus that it was 10% offering and 10% tithe. If you want to, we'll, we'll, we'll get to this here in a moment, but the Jewish people gave far more than 10% and far more than 20% in their daily living. And also offerings are similar in reference to the tithe. They're similar in reference to the tithe. I'll just give you a couple of Bible examples. Melchizedek, the priest of Salem. I'm really toiling here. I really feel like God wants us. You can put this away. I hope, I hope that you'll give in your tithes and offerings. I really feel like God wants us to meet here on Sunday night. And I know there's a lot of stuff going on this weekend. I don't know who's going to show up. We'll put it out on, the, on, a, on a one call and we'll send the email. But I feel like God is going to speak to this church on Sunday night. He's going to talk to us on Sunday, but I, I feel like we need to have a Sunday night service. It's not on our schedule. I don't know if you're going to come, but I want you to get everybody you can and bring them into this house Sunday night. I already know who's going to speak, but I don't know if he can come, but I'm going to call him when I get, when I, when I leave this building, because he has a word for this church, and I feel like God is going to talk to us. The choir can sing or not. The music can, can play or not. It doesn't really matter. I'm sure you'll have something for the Zach, but I feel like we're, we're going to hear from God. Now, maybe because I'm in a fast so if you want to write some stuff down, and I'm about to give you something, it's not on this page, and I didn't prepare for it. This has been asking me multiple times. The last time it was asking me, I was prepared. The question came about days of fasting. And I can tell you that the Bible does not explicitly say everything I'm about to tell you, but there, but there are principles of it. Because, now this is my third day of a fast. I just... I just uh, I'm going to end 
today. The last three days have been some of the hardest days of fasting. I ended a 33-day fast, and that 33-day fast wasn't near as hard as these last 72 hours. Three days, seven days, 21 days, and 40 days. Now, this is from studying the scripture. Three days, to me, it's, it's what Moses would do often. They would pull the assembly aside, and they would take the time to fast. I don't know if it was a weekend, but it was a... a the Jewish people would often do a three-day fast. This, to me, it's kind of like a prayer meeting. It's a common thing, a three-day fast. Uh, a routine. Three days would be routine. It's a, it's a three days of, 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 of coming apart. Three is the, is the minor of seven. So three would be the minor of seven. If you're looking into what numbers in the scriptures look like, three would be the minor of seven, which it's kind of like seven junior almost. It's an interesting time. There are three main festivals in Israel. There are three that bear record in heaven. There's the manifestation of God into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, different dispensations. Um, seven is the divine perfection. Seven means divine perfection. And seven is a reset. Uh, every festival, uh, Pentecost, uh, I'm sorry, Pesach, Pentecost, and Sukkot were festivals, seven days each. The first one was Passover, and 49 days later, everybody went back to Jerusalem for Pentecost, which was the first fruit. Pentecost was always the hardest journey. Pentecost will always be the hardest journey because they just got home, and now they have to turn around and go back. It's incredible. Everybody wants to have Pentecost. They can't hardly get to Pentecost because Pentecost was 50 days. Pente means 50, 50 days after Passover. 50 is when they crossed the Red Sea, 50 days later, they were on Mount Sinai. Moses brought the, brought the commandments from God, the law. He, he even said, I'm going to, the, 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 the prophet said, through, through God spoke to the prophet, I'm going to take out the stony heart. I'm going to put in a heart of flesh. I'm going to write my law on the tablets of your heart. God did not want just, just the hard, cone, uh, hard stone tablets. He wanted you to have the heart of him inside of your heart. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Pesach is the, is, is the Passover. It's the death. It's the death. He was in the grave three days. He, he was with them, Acts 1 and 4, for 40 days, speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. And then they went to the upper room, which is about seven days, and then the Holy Ghost fell. Now, in the fall is Sukkot. Each of those festivals are seven days long. Is everybody still with me? Seven-day fast is a reset. You reset your life. Three days is common. It's a function. Seven days is a reset. You're going to reset yourself in seven days. The eighth day is the first day. David was the eighth son. He started over. Eight is a beautiful number. It's for all of you that have been lost in sin. You had no heritage. You had nothing. I preached about eight. Many of us are some of you are eight in here. You're an eight. You said, I didn't have any heritage. I have nothing. But God started over with me right here. On the eighth day, the child was circumcised. On the eighth day. That means there's a covenant sign on the eighth day. Seven, that's divine perfection. God rested on the seventh day. The seventh day is his day. That's what God said. It's my day. Keep it holy. This is my day. Read it in your Old Testament. Find it out. It's a reset of your life. 21 days is a purging of both your mind and your spirit and your body. Now, in research and just, in just my normal research, because I've done so many 21-day fasts, that is enough time when your whole body has been flushed out, your, whole, your, 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 your minerals have to be replaced because you have, you have now your electrolytes, everything has dropped it's far different. It's three sevens. It's a reset. You can reset yourself. In fact, in 21 days, it's not 40 or 50 or 60, but in 21 days of fasting, you can break chains and habits that conflict you in your life. If you go 21 days without it 
and flush it out of your mind, your system, you'll have a reset in your life. It's got to be true. It's got to be true. Spend 21 days at this altar. Don't miss a day. I promise you on the 22nd day when you leave here, you won't be the same person. But people like to play games with the reset and say, well, I had a good experience. No, go 21 days and you'll be reset. This is my research. So the Bible doesn't explicitly say this. Just my research. I'll give it to you if you want it. (laughs) 40 days, which I've done 11 times in my life, not for any accolade or not for anyone to pat me on the back. If anyone knows anything about fasting, you'll know that 40 days is grueling. It's a grueling. When I get into the 30s, I'm on the phone with Pastor Stark almost every day, and he's pleading the blood over me. One time he prayed for 45 minutes when I walked around the sanctuary with my phone. The only time I get in trouble with Pastor is when I'm not telling him I'm on a long fast. And then he scolds me and says, don't do that again unless you tell me. Because when you're on a long fast, there are temptations that come your way. Lots of temptations. You think I'm going to be spiritually strong. The fact of the matter is, the longer you fast, the more temptations come. I don't understand why I'm dealing with all these ugly thoughts or these bad things or these, these words. Why am I dealing with all that? It's not just low blood sugar. It's the design of the enemy. Even when Jesus was fasting, the devil himself, Satan, Lucifer, the angel of light, the fallen angel, the old archangel came to tempt Jesus. If he'll tempt Jesus, he'll tempt you. And you'll say, I was on a fast. How could this happen to me? Because there, there, you've got to have spiritual protection when you're on a long fast. A 40-day fast is a reset of life. It's a change of life. It can be a change of your whole life, your whole ministry, what God wants to do. I'll give you three examples. Jesus fasted 40 days. Here's your Bible. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That's what the Bible says. Then he went on a 40-day fast. The last verse of that story is that he left in the power of the Holy Ghost. Led by the Spirit. Entered by the Spirit, left in the power of the Holy Ghost. That's when his ministry, that's when his ministry began. Moses went up to the mountain, spent 40 days with God. The Bible says he did not eat or drink. I read in my Bible a few days ago. He didn't eat or drink. Go figure that out. God sustained him. When he came back from the mountain, down from the mountain, guess what? His physical appearance had changed. He had to put one of the lady's veils across his face because his face was shining like a light bulb. They couldn't even look at him because the, the light emanating from his face was so bright like a flashlight, he had to cover up his face. He had, a, he had a change of his entire life when he came down from that mountain. Paul fasted 40 days, and the Lord taught him personally in that wilderness for 40 days. That is a change of your life. Now, if you want to change, you got to get serious with God and serious with the Word. I didn't, I didn't start this fast, three-day fast, just because I felt it was just a nice thing to do. In fact, I even said to the Lord, I just ended a fast two weeks ago. But the Lord prodded me, the Spirit prodded me. Oh no, I'm calling you on something new and you're going to follow this every time. I want to tell you, one of the ladies in our church, I preached this. One of the ladies in church heeded the word when I preached first. I preached it at the end of a year and it was called first. And every month she fasted, I believe seven days to start the month for the whole year. It changes your life. The Bible says some things, Jesus said, this kind only goeth out but by prayer and fasting. When I talk about giving, I'm talking about giving what you should give, what you're supposed to give. Tithing is the basis. I don't ever stop with 10%. Go up from there. If God blesses you, go up from there. If you want to know really what the, what the Israelites did and what they still do today, it's called transitional giving. Transitional giving, we learned this about 10 years ago in Israel. Transitional giving is when people make so much money, they give 51% or more to the temple. And live on the 49% or less. That's called transitional giving. While America is struggling to give even 2%, I think New Life Fellowship ought not just to give willingly, but we ought to make other sacrifices in our life. It's not just money. This is honoring God 
it's returning to God, it's giving, it's serving, it's loving. It's prayer, it's fasting. Now I'm going to make a promotion here for Sunday night because we haven't been back in this culture. We used to have Sunday night for 20 years in a row and most no one complained except me because my throat was shot. I'm not, if the Lord helps us, I'm not preaching, but you, you don't want to hear this preacher. You don't want to miss this preacher because if, because the Lord wills, a prophet is coming to this house. A prophet is going to speak in this pulpit on Sunday night. I don't know what God's going to do for us on Sunday morning, but on Sunday night, we're going to come here. I hope everybody, please help me. Who's come? I shouldn't even say it, but I'd like to have everybody come to church on Sunday night. I'm, I'm toiling in my spirit because I know a lot of people have a lot of plans. I'm toiling in my spirit. And I want to teach the lesson, but I feel like God wants us something. This happened, to, this happened to me a couple weeks ago. It happened to me a couple weeks ago, and I just, I just felt overwhelmed, Lord. Help us. I don't want to miss the prodding of the Holy Ghost. What I'm about to read to you is not, it's not the reason why I want to meet Sunday night. This, this, this came to me but right before church I opened this up. I talked to the prophet yesterday. And when he started talking to me, I'm like, oh my God. I, we got to have the word. There's a spiritual battle raging a man told me about the church that, that he went to preach in. It was a large church. And he said, I went there. I wasn't sure uh, how they would receive me. But the pastor said, they'll receive you. Because that church had been all, through all kind of mess for a long time. And then he described to me some spiritual battles. And I said, oh man, there are some spiritual battles If the Lord can't get to me directly, and the devil can't get to me directly, and me and Tammy, he'll go through our kids. If he can't get through our kids, he'll use our dogs. <laughs> I think that's funny, but dog got out, bit another dog in the neighborhood. Ugly scene. Oh, man. I'm apologetic. Felt bad. Yuck. Sick. Come to the pulpit. Preach. I'm feeling condemned. I'll never win that person to the Lord. Our dogs are not biting other dogs. Our kids are running into people's houses with their cars. <laughs> Sorry, it's an old joke. It's really it's true, actually. It's, we, we, if it's not one, if it's not, if it's not me, it's going to be something else. Not something else. Obscure attacks from the enemy. People saying things, you know, don't know that that. The thing you said was very hateful. It ignited a pain, an old wound, a thorn. We're just a little bit flagrant, too flagrant with our words. It's always, there's a spiritual battle. These are spiritual battles. I'll tell you why it's a spiritual battle. Because the Holy Ghost was poured out two weeks ago and 18 people spoke in tongues and 13 were baptized in the only saving name of Jesus Christ. I, I, I want you to know we cannot preach the scripture in its purest form and be left alone by the spirit world. There will be an attack on all of your lives. Wake up, people, and take courage and know you're doing the right thing. God is for us. He has not abandoned us, and he is going to protect the church and grow the church. And I feel something in my spirit just to tell you, do not give up on the things that God has promised you. I feel led in the Holy Ghost to tell somebody, God hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't closed the book on that. He can still resurrect the dead. I want you to know that whatever you prayed for, the Lord is faithful. He is just. He never forgets. God is not slack concerning his promise, but he is faithful to us.
to my office and get my, my reading glasses off of my desk and bring them to me. I know it's Bible study night, but I want the Lord to break out in some way. I don't want to be a hindrance to God. I'm toiling in my spirit tonight. That's a miracle man right there. He shouldn't even be here. That's a miracle man right there. I'm going to read this to you. You may be seated for a moment. This is an apostolic minister that belongs to the, to the, uh, to the apostolic uh, organization that I belong to. And this is his writing that he wrote. This was sent by way of a, one of our elders. My full report after being at the Asbury Revival. This is a Wesleyan college. Something has erupted in this Wesleyan college. And now for days and days, without interruption, people have gone there and prayed, been speaking in other tongues at the Wesleyan college. We're talking, I believe it's almost a week now. Full, a full-on week. This would be the eighth day that they've been doing this. He went. My full report after being at the Asbury Revival. What was it like being at Asbury Revival? You didn't feel like you were at a conference or a normal church. I'm just reading what he wrote. There was such an unbelievable freedom to worship Jesus. The entire atmosphere was utter freedom. You felt like you were at the throne in heaven and everyone was around him. God was in the midst. At times, the instruments would go silent. It was like a holy hush. There was no upbeat music or high-intensity music. He's not against this. This minister is not against this. He employs it in his own church. But he said it was all holy of holiness, uh, music style. Nobody was in charge, he said, of this particular thing. There was no obvious leader the worship team wasn't there. There was, no, there was different people who spoke. You can tell even the people who spoke were in charge. They rotated singers and musicians every two hours. There was a guitar piano, a beatbox. It was, that was it. They asked if, ask if you need to talk to someone, please take it into the lobby or outside. No fancy lighting, wood seats without cushions, stained glass windows, none of that. The floor was concrete. There was no words on a screen to sing, no offerings taken. He writes, I saw puddles of tears on the concrete. It was a wave of the spirit that hit certain people at different times. The altar was full, nonstop, with people weeping, also worshiping at it too. The spirit of God was making the altar call. When Christ is in the midst, you couldn't stay comfortable if there was any sin in your life. Because there were so many different denominations represented. The chapel team did an amazing job keeping everyone on the same page. Can you imagine that every denomination, it doesn't matter what denomination you are. Do you know that? God wants to pour out his spirit on every denomination. It don't matter denomination. We created that. He didn't. Can it, can, do you know this? That the Holy Ghost is for everybody. The name of Jesus is for everybody. It don't matter where they come from. They can be Muslim or Catholic or Buddhist or Hindu or Baptist or Pentecostal or Charismatic or Assembly of God or Church of God or Wesleyan or Methodist. It doesn't matter. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to restore everybody. He's into everybody. I'm reading. There was worship, prayer, repentance, public confession, testimonies. He writes, I have never experienced anything like it in 26 years of being born again. 
The Lord spoke loudly, I believe. He doesn't need any fancy things or big-name preachers. God was there to get all the glory. He, God, was comfortable. I honestly believe God is speaking to the church this very thing. The American church is depending on too many gadgets and personalities. He writes, when the lights don't turn off for four days, he was there, he was there on the fourth day. When the lights don't turn off for four days, four days, there's no doubt God is tremendously moving. After six hours, I didn't want to leave. And you could tell it was the same for everyone there. I believe each day the revival is gaining more intensity. Isn't that true? I've studied old-time revivals for a quarter of a century. It was surreal because I was experiencing exactly what I had read for so many years. One of the leaders said, we aren't stepping into something unusual, but something normal. (laughs) He also said, imagine if every church on every street corner was like this. And then the leaders made a call to die to self. He writes, I pray this will spread all over the nation. The Asbury revival may or may not last long. All I know is that God was there. My wife and I will never forget it. It made an eternal impact on me. Honestly, it's going to take days to process everything. This is a firsthand report from the, Ab- at, uh, the Aubrey services. I've been keeping up with it since it started. This happened in, in very similar to stones falling in Topeka, Kansas. It is not only college students that are involved. Adults are now traveling to be involved in the spiritual awakening. I want to focus. I'm, right, I'm reading what he wrote. I want to focus and answer some questions if possible. Please avoid sarcasm. He's going to be a little sarcastic. Mockery. Please, please pardon him. Why did God decide to pour out his spirit on this particular place? Why did this not happen in one of our Pentecostal churches? Why didn't it happen in one of our colleges? Why do you think, what do you think attracted the Holy Spirit to linger so long? He writes, I have a concern that we preach Azusa Street, Stone's Folly, Topeka, Kansas, all the stuff, and, and, and other areas where this happened years ago. But it hasn't happened to my knowledge recently. He writes, God is a jealous God. And jealousy among us, egos, unforgiveness, and worldliness can stop this from happening. He writes, we have the truth, but I'm concerned he may be turning to someone else. He writes, I keep hearing reports, read and reports common thread among them is repentance and conviction. Please, don't belittle the reports. Examine ourselves. We need to be honest. I'm I'm just praying that God would, we said... We said, can God interrupt us? We clapped. Yes, he could interrupt us. I don't, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know where anything's going to go. But, I, but I'm, I'm just believing God is going to do something here. He's going to do something in your home. He's going to do something at your work. He's going to do something at your jobs. And he wants to do something with you in your car. He want, God wants to do something powerful and great. He wants to restore, heal. I don't, want to, I don't want to yell this, but I just want to say this. In the name of Jesus, I pray that we could take dominion over every issue that would, that would thwart or hinder the revival in everyone's life. I take dominion over everything that would interrupt us. I pray against the small things that would become large things in Jesus' name. So that the Lord can have the glory and the church can have a massive revival of people. That people would come to feel the presence of the Holy Ghost. I pray that in Jesus' name. I pray right now that you would change your ways so much that you don't even look and appear and act like the person you used to be yesterday. That the church would find a way. To get to the Holy Spirit. So that everything that we used to be concerned about. We were no longer concerned about that. But we are only concerned about the moving of the Holy Spirit. And that God would use you for his glory. He wants to use you for his glory. He wants to change your way and change your life. Yes.
I'm going to be careful with my volume and my tone because I want you to hear it because the Lord spoke to me. He wants to reveal and expose you, not to embarrass you, but to heal you and deliver you. He won't expose you to all the people, but he'll expose you to yourself so that you can change your way. He already knows, but you haven't confessed yet, but he's going to do something with you. And then when he exposes you, he won't change you because in that you're going to confess, I got something to change. I'm not going to be carnal any longer. I'm not, I'm not going to be a liar and a cheat any longer. I'm not going to play this game any longer. I'm not going to be the middle road. I'm going to be on fire. I'm going to be sold out. I'm going to be dedicated. I feel like the Lord is getting some, ready to do something in here, even right now with all of us. So I'm going to call this church on, a, on at least a one-day fast between now and Sunday. I want you to take one day, and I want you to pray, and I want you to fast just one day. If you do anything more than that, that's, on, that's between you and the Lord. But just one day. If you have a medical condition, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to just take a, an afternoon. And, and, and if you can't, if there's something that you, if people take medications. But I want you to pray that God would heal you of the thing that you have to take medication for. Amen. Now, before we get there, I'm going to tell you, we got to bind up a couple things because some things are going to be loosed in your life. I'm going to bind up some things here. Not because it's me. Not because I'm good. But there's a toil in my spirit. And I feel to bind up all kinds of things that are coming against the church and the church families and your lives. And listen, you got to get to the house of God. Don't dare stay home another day. Don't dare stay away from the church another time. So I bind up and I, I take dominion over depression and anxiety and family trouble and all kinds of issues in your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now, God's going to deliver you. He's going to set you free. Come on, just speak it out of your mouth, the praises of the Most High God. He is a Savior. He is a great God. He is going to do something in your homes and in your life. He's going to restore. He's going to bring back from the dead the very things you thought was gone. But God is going to bring it back, I pray in the name of Jesus. Jesus.